Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. So this is it, guys. It's Palm Sunday, a week before Easter. By the way, I'm so excited for Easter. I hope you can join us Good Friday. I hope you can join us next Sunday as we gather together around really the greatest story that there is, that Jesus is alive. The the triumphal entry story, the the Palm Sunday story, is this interesting dynamic that took place. Because up until that point, Jesus, as he grew in popularity with the people, he also became less popular with those in power. In fact, it was at this point in time that there was people plotting against him. Caiaphas, who was the high priest, the Sanhedrin, which was like like the, the, the power dynamic of the city of Jerusalem. They were all planning, how do we get rid of this guy? Because Jesus is drawing more attention than we're drawing in this time. And, and, and so into this season, it's, it's called the Passover. And the Passover was the most significant time in the Jewish calendar. In fact, the historian Josephus said around Passover, there would have been upwards to 2 million people gathered in the city of Jerusalem. And they were not practicing social distancing. They were coming from everywhere to gather together in that place. And Jesus, he he had just performed miracles. Certainly, he had continued to preach hope to those who were were lost and and salvation to those who were estranged. But, But right before this took place, he had actually performed this miracle where Lazarus, who was dead, was brought back to life. I mean, Jesus, again, popularity growing and his lack of popularity with those in power was taking place all at the same time. And into that dynamic, we read Matthew chapter 21. If you have your Bible with you, why don't you turn even from where you are? Matthew chapter 21, starting at verse 1. It says this, As they approached Jerusalem and they came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples. And he said to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks you anything, just say to them, The Lord needs this and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. Say to the daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went, and they did just as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit upon. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees, and they spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heavens. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. And they asked this question, who is this? The crowd then answered them, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. I kind of like this story because it feels like for once, Jesus is getting the honor that he deserves. For once, he's being celebrated in mass. It's not just one person here or another individual there. It's a whole crowd acknowledging there's something special about this guy. I also love, because you see, Jesus, he's humble. Even in victory, he's humble. Even, Even when he is in the spotlight, there's a humility about him. You see, the triumphal entry that was taking place was actually this Roman custom. In Roman times, when a general was returning from war, they would come out into the city and there'd be a crowd of people that would gather. They'd be chanting their names. They would lay their cloaks down on the ground. 
And, and the, the Roman soldiers would send first the prisoners and then all of the bounty, what they had, had pillaged from the place they had conquered. And then finally they would arrive in like this gold encrusted chariot with the, the biggest stallions, the most significant horses, and they'd come out. And then they would celebrate by seeing some of those prisoners thrown, thrown into dens with lions or torn apart by beasts. Like, like they would celebrate in the most atrocious ways. And then you see Jesus. His triumphal entry is on the back of a donkey. He's making this, this incredible statement of humility and peace. To those who were watching, they were going, this is a different kind of guy. He's not being celebrated for being aggressive. It's actually for his humility and his gentleness. But to the scholars, Jesus was making a statement. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that you've been waiting for for hundreds of years. I'm the one sent by God. In Zechariah 9.9, they talk about this very thing taking place that the Messiah, the one that God would send to bring salvation to the world, would enter the city upon the back of a donkey. And into this, this entrance, with this celebration, this party, we see a few things taking place. In fact, I want to draw our attention to a few things that I believe apply to us today as well. As we give worship to Jesus, who is still the King of Kings, he's still the Messiah, he's still the one who brings salvation. The first thing that I note from this story is that they worshiped with what was common and with what was costly. You see, it said everyone took their cloak off and they laid it down on the ground. This, this statement of, of honor to Jesus, you're so worthy that I wouldn't want you to have to touch your feet upon the ground. Allow me to, to place this in front of you. It would have been quite likely in that time that if you had a cloak, it was your one change of clothes. It's not like you would walk around with an extra cloak in case a moment of worship needed to take place. This was people sacrificing something that actually mattered to them. Furthermore, the, the branches that they cut off would have been palm branches, which is why we call it Palm Sunday. Palm br branches were common, and yet at this season, they would have been in sapling stage, meaning that to cut them off from the tree, though they were common to find, would actually inhibit the amount of harvest that they would receive later. So they were making a statement with, with things that were common and yet bared some cost to them, that Jesus is worth worshiping. He's worth the cost. You know, that's actually what worship means. It, it, you can put the words together and it's worship is worth-ship. They were saying of Jesus, you are worth what is common and you are worth what is costly. The palm branch was the significant Jewish symbol. In fact, Maccabees, uh, he, he referred to the palm branches as this celebration in the city. That the, Jericho was the city of palms. And so as he had been brought into victory, that really became a symbol of their victory. In fact, on Jewish coins at the time, there was a palm branch uh, imprinted upon their coin. So they were making a statement of value and worth with what was both common and what was costly. I think sometimes we don't worship because we feel like what we have to give is too common. And other times we don't worship because we feel like what we have to give would be far too costly. But worship is found in, in, the, in the combination of those things, that, with the, the little things we can give and the big gestures we can make, all to say to Jesus, you're worthy. I remember years ago preaching in a, a little village church on Mount Meru in Tanzania. There's this, the, one of the tallest peaks in Africa as I was 
preaching, I found myself short of breath because the oxygen was depleted there. And it came time for, for the moment where people would bring their offerings and they would bring something to honor God with. It was one of the most beautiful and overwhelming moments as I watched people. Some brought bags of avocados, saw someone bring a shirt. Someone else had brought a chicken, a live chicken, right with them to church, saying, this is what I have to give. This represents value for me, and so I want to honor God with what I have. The most beautiful thing is when church ended, the service ended, we walked out front and everyone stood together, and then, then the elders of the church took what had been brought that day, and they said, now, does anyone need a chicken? Does anyone need some avocados? Anyone looking for a shirt? And people actually began to, to buy back what had been given. It was such a beautiful thought that the common and the costly coming together. And I found myself overwhelmed by this outflowing of worship. I want you to know today, maybe you feel like your voice is just too common. Maybe you feel like what you have to give would be far too costly. But worship is us taking what, what is wor worthy to us and saying, God, you're greater than. So they brought their cloaks. They brought their palm branches. And then the Bible says this. The second point I want to draw out is that all who were there, worshipped. Everyone. It doesn't say then there was some who decided to worship. It just said they all found themselves worshipping. In fact, in the book of Luke, it says that they didn't just worship, but they worshipped him for what he had already done. This is a beautiful thing, that the worship they were given was not an expression of how they were feeling. Charles Spurgeon he said it would only make logical sense that in a crowd that size, there would have been some people who were having good days and other people who were having bad days. It would only make sense that there would be some who had a reason to be frustrated and others who, who just woke up on the right side of the bed. And yet when they were in the presence of Jesus, they all worshiped. Maybe there's something in your life that is overshadowing what you feel about Jesus, but you need to know that the worth of Jesus the power of God, his love for you can actually overshadow everything. Where there's worry, there can be no worship. And where there's worship, there can be no worry. I actually think that the things we tend to worry about are things we are making statements of value about. We're saying that this issue is actually worth my rest. It's worth my attention, it's worth my attitude, and it's worth my focus. Where there's worry, there can be no worship, and where there's worship, there can be no worry. Why don't we make the decision today to worship God? You know, if, if some people that day had decided not to worship Jesus, it wouldn't have affected how worthy he was. In fact, in Luke's representation of this very story, it says that the power you know, power forces, the priests and the teachers of the law, they actually came against Jesus and they said, you got to tell your people to stop talking this way. You have to tell these disciples to stop making this kind of noise. They shouldn't be giving you this much honor. And Jesus' response to them was, if these people stop worshiping, even the rocks will cry out. What he was saying is this, is my worth is not dependent on the opinion of public. My worth is not, not built upon what people think of me. I am worthy because... I am the one sent by God. So I'm not saying today, let's worship Jesus so that, that he feels good about himself. Let's lift up God because, but I'm saying this, God is worthy of your praise. Whatever you're feeling, whatever you're going through, with what's common or what's costly, let's choose worship instead of worry. Number three, 
It says this, they praised him for what he had already done. Well, what had he already done? He had already raised Lazarus from the dead. He had already healed Bartimaeus. He had already converted Zacchaeus. He had fulfilled exactly what he promised to do in Luke chapter 4 when he said, I'm going to preach good news to the poor. When he said, I'm going to bring freedom to the prisoners. When he said, I'm going to bring recovery of sight to the blind. When he said, I'm going to release the oppressed. He came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus really had done what he said he would do. He had brought redemption. And so as they worshiped Jesus, they they were simply recalling the things he had already done and saying, if you do nothing else, you're already worthy of our praise. You know, sometimes I think what we can tend to do is is we say, God, after you do the next thing, then you, you got my worship. After you do the next thing, you've got all my attention. When in truth, if we would just stop and consider what has Jesus already done in our lives? What is it that Jesus has already done that that I could begin to focus on? I've found that gratitude is like this great wide open gate that if you would open it up, you find yourself walking into worship, walking into joy, walking into hope, walking into faith for the future. If you can walk through that gateway of gratitude and begin to thank Jesus for what he's already done. Interestingly, Jesus, he did what he was going to do. I mean, with Lazarus, Mary and Martha didn't even ask Jesus to, he- to heal their-, their brother or bring him back from the dead. When it came to Bartimaeus, uh, you know, Bartimaeus needed to be reminded to even ask Jesus. He- he's just talking about Jesus, and Jesus said, well, what would you like for me to do? It's like Jesus is setting him up to receive the greatest miracle. When it came to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus didn't even know what to ask. He was a short man who was oppressed, and he climbed a tree to see Jesus. And Jesus reached out and found him. See, the redeeming work that God does, the the things that make Jesus so worthy of our praise is not that we went out and found him. It's not that we needed help and so we sought him out. It's that he knew how desperately we need him and he came to find us. He came to be sufficient in our situation. I wonder how many of you watching today, if you were to stop and think about it, would come to the conclusion, Jesus has been more than enough for me. Jesus has been my all-sufficiency. Why don't we stop and remember some of the reasons that we could begin to praise even from where we are right now. So they worshiped him with what was common and what was costly. They all worshiped him and they worshiped him for what he had already done. Now to the fourth thing, and I think really the, the, the crux of this message today, the crux of the, the message of the triumphal entry of Palm Sunday is that they seamlessly transitioned from worship to intercession. They were laying down their cloaks. They're laying down branches. They're, they're shouting. They're praising Jesus. They're going, this is the guy who raised Lazarus. This is the guy who opened Bartimaeus' eyes. This is the guy who befriended Zacchaeus. And then they all begin to shout out, Hosanna. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. It's interesting. I I grew up in church. So for me, this word Hosanna, it kind of gets thrown into worship songs sometimes. And it's this beautiful sounding song, this beautiful sounding word of worship. But the word Hosanna is actually this imperative statement. If you were to translate it directly, it would mean this. Ready? Help! Like, Like that's what they were saying. Hosanna is a statement, help us. 
Together they were saying, Jesus, if you truly have done all these things, and here we see you coming in the name of the Lord in a humble way. You're not coming to dominate, you're coming to serve. And, and we're the ones who need you. We're the ones who need your salvation. It's us. It's us, Lord. Like we need what you bring. It's amazing how worship and intercession, they're not really two different things. They just, they go seamlessly together. They're worshiping Jesus for what he had already done. And then they began to pray for what they still needed him to do. You know, in, in my household, uh, prayer time, it, it sounds a little different depending on who, who we ask to pray. Before meals and before bed and anytime really we just have to pause and say, let's pray together as a family. Depending on which child I ask to lead in prayer, the prayer sounds different. Right now in this, this season, my five-year-old son, Oakley, when I ask him to pray, it, it's quite, quite remarkable the, the sound of prayer that comes out of his life. Dear God, thank you for Lego. Thank you for my brothers and my sisters. Thank you for family. Thank you for food. Thank you for nachos and salsa. Like whatever is on his mind, he's just thanking God for. But, but lately he's begun to say this statement, and God, I thank you that we're all good. And some people are not good, but I know that you can make them good too. And it's amazing to me that his thankfulness, his gratitude, his worship to Jesus for the common and the costly turns immediately into intercession for those who aren't doing good right now. Do you know the Bible often regards the faith of a child as, as the goal that we should be aiming for? Maybe for you and I, our, our worship, if we were to consider what Jesus had already done, would begin to turn into intercession for those around us who are not doing good well, we would find ourselves saying, not only Jesus did this in my life, but God, would you save? God, would you do something in our day and in our time? As we begin to tell the story of what Jesus has already done in our life, I wonder what it would do to our city. Throughout this, this lockdown season, this time of social distancing and self-isolation, one of the really beautiful things that's taking place in many cities and certainly in ours is, is a time where people throughout a city would stop and acknowledge the, the heroes in the healthcare industry. In fact, at seven o'clock every night in the city of Vancouver, if you were to open your window really in any neighbor, neighborhood, you would hear people begin to cheer and, and shout and, and, and say thank you. I have friends in other cities who are posting videos of different similar traditions that are beginning to develop in their cities. What I love is that it's a feeling people were feeling internally already, but together and collectively, they've said, this feeling can't be left in seclusion. I need to bring it into the streets. And as you're watching this, this stream today, you might be saying, well, I'm feeling worshipful things inside already. But even in your sense of self-isolation, I think it's time that we as the church begin to say that worship, that, that, that gratitude we're feeling on the inside, it actually needs to be brought into the streets. You can't walk through the street at 7 o'clock without noticing something is happening. And that day when Jesus entered the city, you could not walk around without noticing something is, is happening. In fact, the Bible says that the city was stirred. That word stirred, it's like, it's like shaken. I mean, James Bond would say they're, they're different, shaken, not stirred. But here, they mean the same thing, shaken and stirred. The whole city was, sh was shook up saying something is happening. And what did they ask? They said, who is this? Isn't it amazing that worship goes seamlessly into, into intercession, and then intercession seamlessly into evangelism. As they began to worship Jesus for who he was and what he had already done, 
they found themselves saying, Jesus, we still need you to do more. And then they had the opportunity to answer this simple question, who is this person that you're singing about? Who is this person that you're worshiping? As we together focus on telling the world our story, as together we say, you know, we're the ones that Jesus has saved. We're the ones who've experienced a grace we did not deserve. And as we say, that worship needs to come out of seclusion and into the streets, into the, the common areas of our life. And as we lift our voices together, our worship will become intercession because we still need Jesus to do miracles in our world today. And that intercession will become evangelism, opportunities to say, who is this person that's brought you joy in the midst of heartache? We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.